0: Proverbs chapter 7 is the father's final teaching to his son, urging him to flee from sexual immorality. And so as we come to this, we see this sort of as the one last appeal to his son to be careful in this area. Listen to the reading of God's Word, Proverbs Chapter seven, beginning in verse one. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I looked out through the lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him. And kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces his liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, Listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways and do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are as a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this clear portrayal of sin and its consequences. We ask that the Holy Spirit, whose body has become his temple, who our body has become his temple. We ask you now, Holy Spirit, to show us, to help us to really hear this word, to write It upon our hearts. To write every word upon our hearts. To hear it. To receive it. And to follow it. Holy Spirit. We pray that you would show us. Not only the truth of this word. But you would show us what's really going on in our lives. That we would be honest before you. That we would not lie to the Holy Spirit. But we would be honest where we are and that, Lord, where we need to repent, we would. Where we need to find mercy, we would. Where we need strength, we would. Where we are sinning, we would repent. We would turn and go a different direction. God, we ask for your help now in the power of your Holy Spirit, all for the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And together, God's people said, amen. As we come to this passage of Scripture, I've entitled this, Painting Sin in Its True Colors. And the reason is, is because if you're a parent, and you've ever tried to teach your children about avoiding certain things, um, I can imagine it must be a a very hard task. Um, I think about uh, how many parents say stuff when you tell them, don't do something, and the child says, well, why? And you say, because I said so. And that's the extent of it. You don't have any reason. Well, the father here in Proverbs not only has a reason, he is going to paint such a graphic, compelling, gripping, horrifying picture that he is trying to get his son to see in full detail, in high definition, what sin looks like in all of its appealing colors, and then, in all of its terrible, deadly consequences. So, as we begin this passage of Scripture, we see that the first five verses are sort of an introduction. The Father is again urging the Son to listen. He is making an urgent plea, a sort of a, a final. A a, a final effort is made by the father to say, look, there are two temptations that time and time again trip people up. The temptation to easy money and easy sex. And because they are so common, so prevalent, and they are so seductive, I want to urge you one more time, young man, one more time, my dear son, to listen. You'll notice here, he says again in verse 1, my son... Keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. The father does not want to keep his son from what is good and what is enjoyable. The father wants his son to live. The father wants his son to have a good and blessed and godly life. To have a full and meaningful life. And so the father is not against the son. Sometimes you as a parent know that when you restrain a child from doing something they want to do, they think you're trying to keep them from what's going to make them happy. But ultimately, you're trying to keep them from something that will hurt them, something that that they can't see where that road will lead, but you can. With a little wider lens, you know the path they're on and you know the consequences for that particular action. So in the same way the father here is making this urgent plea, you just hear it, repetition over another. Keep my words. Not just listen to them, but you've got to guard them. You've got to protect them. You've got to treasure up my commandments. He's saying here that the wisdom that he has shared with the child, which as we've seen over and over again, it's not just the father giving his best opinion. It's not just pithy fatherly advice. The father is speaking to the son the words that he got from Solomon and from Solomon that Solomon got from God. Ultimately, they're just repeating the commands of God. Remember, God says very plainly, very starkly, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And here you have the reason why, a reason why. This is the because. Why do I not do it? Well, Here's a reason why. Let me paint you a picture of what sin looks like both in its tempting power and in its terrifying consequences. So this is a father. This is if you're a parent and you've ever tried to encourage your children down the path of godliness in whatever area and they're being tempted. Take this to heart. Think about how you teach. Don't just say it's wrong. And and don't only give them reasons that appeal to the mind. As Pam said, you've got to paint a picture for them. You've got to paint a picture, a realistic picture of what sin looks like. Remember that Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. And so you've got to prepare your children saying, I think this is one of the most shocking things that I remember as a teenager. Sin actually looks, sounds, smells good. (laughs) Right? That's the problem with it. And if you as a parent say, you know what, sin's horrible, it's a terrible thing. When your child actually bumps up on real sin, they're going, well, this can't be a sin because how could it be wrong when it feels so right? Right? You've got to tell them, hey, this is a trick. It's in camouflage. It's a disguise. It's not real. It's a mask. You prepare them saying, this is how Satan works. Satan never shows you the end result. I mean, you think about the the commercials um, that they have, the sort of the anti-smoking campaign. Very, very powerful, isn't it? What do they do? They they have the voice and then you see the person. You see the consequences of of a life of doing that particular behavior. Well, if that does that to the body, what does sin do to the soul? What does sin do to to the, the inner part of the person? And so here the father does not want the child to be outwitted by Satan, to not be ignorant of Satan's designs, to quote the Apostle Paul. So he says, you got to treasure up. You've got to value what I have said to you. Verse 2, keep my commandments. So it's not just that you, you keep the words. These are commandments. These aren't just the Father's personal preference. These are the commandments that ultimately trace back to God and live. But just, just a word on this. You don't just put your Bible in front of your children and say, these are the commands of God, do them. What. Is the, you are the most important teacher in your child's life. So you start early and young and before they can read, before they even care about what words mean, they hear it from you and they see it in you and you are repeating to them and teaching them what the word of God is. And so then he says, keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. This is a, and, and the reason he, he wants you to do this is because his intention is for the child to have a, a blessed life, a good life. And he says, you got to keep this as the very pupil of your eye. It's a really small thing, but without it, you can't see. So keep that at the very center of all that you see. This is precious to you. This is, this is valued by you bind them on your fingers. I mean, he's just using any way he can to say, look, this thing needs to go with you because where your finger goes, there you go. So it's bound. It's not just in a book on your shelf. Why do we want our children to memorize verses of Scripture? Why are we memorizing verses here? And why are you encouraging them to memorize verses? Why do we memorize verses in Sunday school? We want them bound on our fingers and as it says, write them on the tablet of your heart. David says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Notice this is not about just getting kids to behave the right way. It's about getting children to understand what the right heart is. What the right heart is before God. Write these words upon their heart. And then it says in verse 4, Say to wisdom, you're my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. I mean, here, she's pulling out all the stops. He says, make God's truth family. Make God's truth family. You think about it. Most of us, God's truth is somewhere out there. Yeah, I, you know, what does God say about, right? What does God say about a, a girlfriend sleeping with her boyfriend for the marriage? What is it? Well... I don't know. Hmm. I mean, what it's saying is these things need to not be something that you have to go get a concordance and say, well, let me look it up. It's actually, it's become a friend. You know that the word of God is practical. It's for life. It deals with the ethical situations, not just from 3,000 years ago, but that you're going to face on the week of June 12, 2016. (laughs) That's how... Amazing God's word is. And so you make the wisdom of God your sister. Make it family. And call insight your intimate friend. Now, again, notice what is the father? He is after one specific focus in this chapter as he has been about four times so far. Verse 5, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulterous, with her smooth words. So this is the father. I mean, you just think about it. I mean, how many of you had a father ever took time and warned you about this area of sexual immorality? That warned you about the consequences that come to disobeying God's command to not commit adultery. Now remember that this is, this is kind of the idea of the father. To be forewarned, is to be forearmed. That's the old phrase, right? To be forewarned is to be forearmed. We don't want our children to be ambushed. We don't want the first time they've ever thought, you know what, I might actually be tempted one day in this area. We want them to know what that temptation will look look like so when it does come into their path, that they will be forearmed, forearmed with truth knowing sin in all of its true colors and knowing the consequences for sin clearly painted by the parents. Remember, again, Jesus is the same way. He he makes clear. He says, you know what? The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But I'm come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Do, Do you believe that in the core of your being are you here just because you're, you think, man, I don't really care about Christ in the Bible, but I really don't want to go to hell, but I don't think it really has much to do with me having absolutely the best, most blessed life possible. And yet Jesus is saying, that's why I came. I came that you would have an abundant life. And it's Satan who offers life. He offers pleasure. He offers happiness. But all he really wants to do is steal kill and destroy but the good shepherd says let me let me lead you through life's tricky paths and i'm here to lead you to life so the father has said you've got to keep his words you've got to treasure his commandments you've got to keep them keep them bind them write them on your heart and then it says say to wisdom so you've got to you've really got to speak this out have you ever owned the commands of god and said god this is, this is right. I, I say, Lord, that you will keep me from stealing. You will keep me from adultery. You will You will keep me honoring my father and my mother. You will keep me so that I will have no idols in my life that I will not covet. Are you speaking that? Are you agreeing with God? Have you made that a part of your commitment? So the father here in verse five, as we now go into the story, this is He he, he means the father, he means the son well. He's not trying to steal from the son. He's not trying to keep the son from a good thing. He wants the son to live, not die. He wants the son to be blessed, not cursed. Now we go to verse 6 and it says, For at the window of my house I have looked out through the lattice and I have seen among the simple, I perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. So now the father is going to paint a picture. He's going to tell a story, paint a picture to capture the imagination of his son. He he, he wants to show him what temptation looks like. This is one of the ways I always say this. Temptation would not be temptation unless temptation were tempting. And what I mean by that is, is not everybody in here is tempted by eating the whole chocolate cake. Not everybody here is tempted by taking the money that's lying on the counter. Not everybody here is tempted by the the temptation to sexual sin. But whatever is tempting to you, that's the power. And this is one that is pervasive in every culture, in every generation. And so here he's wanting to capture the imagination of his child so that when he faces a similar circumstances, he says, you know what, daddy told me about this. He forewarned me, boy, this looks good, it sounds good, it smells good, but it's a path that leads to death. So he paints the story, he's looking out the window of his house. Typical houses in those days would have had two stories. The second story would have been where the bedroom was. And so the father is looking out. They didn't have glass panes until the Romans come along. So it would have been a wooden lattice. He says he's looking down. You can imagine him looking down um, below into, this, uh, into the streets of the city. And so he's, he's already capturing his son by saying, here I was looking out, peering out. I'm not a part of that, but I'm I'm seeing it. And this is what I've seen. And he said, I saw among the simple. Remember, that's that's code in the book of Proverbs. The simple are really the people that, that the writer to Proverbs is after. You've got the simple and the wise. Those are the two people. The simple, he wants them to become wise. And the wise, he wants them to become wiser. But the simple are not yet fools. They're not yet the proud and the arrogant. They, they, What simple means in Proverbs is that they are uncommitted, that they're open to everything and not committed to anything. It's like you are when you're 17, right? You do what your parents tell you to do, but you're really open to pretty much anything, right? You don't have your personal convictions and commitments. You're just like, well, I don't know. I'll just see what comes along. I'll just try whatever you know, passes in front of me. but So he's saying, all right, if you're in that place and you've not yet committed to following the way of God, this is the young man that I'm talking about, open to everything, committed to nothing. And he said there was one among all of them that he said he lacked sense. To put it another way, he was dumb, right? He was brainless. He didn't think. You know, if I could encourage you to anything, all of us at every age, is every second of every day, if we are in a battle for our spiritual lives, we've got to have our minds engaged. I can't tell you the number of times I've done stupid things, said stupid things, and it was just because, I'll I'll just have to say, I just wasn't thinking. I was just responding. You feel something in a moment, you get angry, or, or whatever you are, and you just... You just respond. It's a reflex. It's not a, an action that is self-controlled. And so here he is saying, this is, this is a young man who, he's brainless. He's not thinking about his steps. Now you notice in verse 8, he says he's passing along the road near her house, taking the road to her house. Go with me back to chapter 5, verse 8. He says, keep your way far from her do not go near the door of her house. He's already warned the son that one of the most important ways for avoiding temptation is to don't not go near it. right? And yet this young, this young person is thoughtlessly walking through life and is going into the very area. Now, the father's not saying it's his son, but this simple young man is going into the area That is going to get him into trouble. He's not thinking about where he is. And so this is the opposite. Of what the father has already taught his own son. Back in 5.8. And then it says um, in verse 9. In the twilight, in the evening. At the time of night and darkness. So we have here what's the setting. The father's painting the scene. You've got this. Thoughtless young man. He's walking down the street. When it says passing along, it's the idea of marching. He's not meandering. He's he's confidently walking through the streets. He goes near her corner, taking the road to her house, and he is doing it at twilight. Literally, to put it this way, he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Shakespeare has a few lines, and this is what he said. He says, For light... And lust are deadly enemies. Shame folded up in blind concealing night. When most unseen, then most doth tyrannize. Shame folded up in blind concealing night. Light and lust are deadly enemies. And yet the father is saying here, here, you're, You're going into the wrong part of town at the wrong time of day, into these works of darkness. So he's painting this portrait, emphasizing it's twilight, it's in the evening at the time of night and darkness where the works of darkness will be done. And then he paints, continues painting the picture, and behold, the woman meets him. So here he is walking the wrong place, the wrong time, And here comes this woman. Now notice he's going to describe her beginning by how she's dressed. He says she's dressed as a prostitute. Now this is a married woman at twilight, right as it's getting dark, and she is dressed like a prostitute. Namely, how many times is it that People are actually, they're judging the book by the cover. They look and what they see is appealing and therefore they think it must be good. It's like Eve looking at the fruit and, and thinking, that, that looks good. Yet it was the very thing that God had said, if you do and you eat of that fruit, surely you will die. So this woman has on bold attire, revealing attire seductive attire. as we've said the New Testament does not give any specific or lots of specific information about how women are to dress in every situation but the overarching um, the overarching principle is absolutely clear modesty that means you cover up what you, are you're not trying to be the most provocative. You're not trying to show yourself off to dra- uh, attract attention. As we said last week, this doesn't mean you have to be Amish. But your goal is uh, uh, to be a person who your clothing is not meant to draw somebody to yourself. It is, it is meant uh, to cover yourself and it is meant to be appropriate. But here this woman, she is... Not dressed as a married woman. She's not dressed uh, modestly in any way. She has on the prostitute, uh, the, the dress of a prostitute. But notice that behind her attire, there is a heart that is wily. Th- this is this woman is wily, coyote. This woman is a v- sly vixen. She She may appear like she's saying, here, I'm just here to offer you a good time, but she has another agenda. She has a cunning or crafty heart. The idea here of Wiley, you remember what it said about Satan in Genesis 3.1? He was more crafty. Same idea. It's the opposite idea of wisdom. She's using her skill in life to attract this Young man like a moth to the flame. She's using every bit of her feminine powers to bring him to herself. And her intent is all from a wily heart, from a heart that is crafty and cunning. Then notice in verse 11, it's going to describe her. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Home. She is loud and wayward. Here, it's describing her uh, how she talks. She just she's a boisterous person. She's out there on the street at night. She's talking loudly. She's wayward. She's literally gad flying around everywhere. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner. She is literally like a person who is hunting. She's a huntress, and she's going to every spot, sort of like a fisherman. In one spot, nope, nothing there. Let me go to another spot. And then if there's nothing there, go to another spot. Let me tell you, the image is meant to be clear. This is a woman who is seeking to catch prey. She's lying in wait, hunting language. Then notice not only her bold attire and her crafty heart, But notice her bold behavior. Verse 13, she seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, you imagine me here, the guy just walking down, marching down through the road, the wrong place at the wrong time of day. He hears this loud woman. She literally comes up, grabs him and kisses him. This is a woman who is doing everything in her power to seduce this young man. When it says with a bold face, we, we have this expression, right? That you're a bold face liar, right? That's a, uh, and, and that's the idea. She literally has no shame. You know, isn't that so typical of our world? When you think about it, there's a place in the Old Testament, it talks about people when they get used to sin, and it says, you've lost your ability to... Blush, right? You've lost your ability to blush. I remember a number of years ago, we had a an outreach at, at church, one of the churches I pastored, and we had a, it was a Super Bowl outreach, right? So it was Sunday evening, whenever, January, February. And um, anyway, at Halftime, there was going to be this gospel presentation. But one of the things I noticed is, have you ever actually, with a group of people, looked at the commercials? Some of them are nice, you know, horses advertising beer. But anyway, um, that's the best of them, right? Uh, But have you thought about them? I mean, how provocative they are. And when you actually watch them with other people, what do you realize? You've just become callous to it. Oh, that's just how it is. We've lost our ability to blush. And here, this woman, she certainly has. She has a bold face. And you notice what? She comes out, she's going to speak to him. Now, notice the words of this aggressive woman. She says in verse 14, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I've paid my vows. Literally, the word for sacrifices here are peace offerings. So any of you who've been in Leviticus, this should mean a lot. The peace offering was one of those special voluntary offerings that people would make to God for thanksgiving or they had made some vow that if God did something for them in their life, blessed them in some way, that they would offer an animal in sacrifice to him because they valued being able to have fellowship with God and then only a small portion of the animal was offered up to God. The priest got a portion of it and the remainder... Say it was a, 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 um, a heifer. It was a large animal. The remainder of the meat is given back to the person, and they said, now invite all your family and friends and everybody together, and it is time for you to celebrate the fact that you have peace with God, fellowship with God, and you can have a blessed community with other people. And here this woman, this is what she begins. You know what? I made my peace offerings today. She cloaks the very first words out of her mouth are masked with religious pretense. You know, we think, oh, it's only the people out in the world. Let me tell you. You know what? If it was only people out in the world that were engaging all of this, it wouldn't be a big deal. We can't change what's going on in the world. We can't pray and hope for purity of the world it's for the people of God who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit who've been bought with a price this is who we're urging we're urging God's people to live like God's people yet there are many who will speak the language of Zion who will talk the religious talk but they are not wanting to walk the religious walk in any way here she's actually using this to say hey you know what I've got a, a lot of extra food I've got all of the rest of the peace offerings. Come over and enjoy the benefits from what I just received and my fulfillment of my vow to God. I think probably one of the greatest, greatest blights on the world is when Christianity literally is a cloak for evil. It is a cloak for evil. You see how it hurts how it hurts the testimony and the name of Christ in the world. And so all I'm saying to you is is let us be the people that God has called us to be. Humble, seeking purity where we are not, that we repent and we come back to him. So notice now as she's first made this religious appeal, saying I'm really a religious lady and I just want to share with you from my overflow... Notice now she appeals to what is most appealing to most of us. The most important thing to most of us in the world, right? Look in verse 15. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. And I have found you, right? I mean, this is telling the fish after she's been to every fishing hole in that part of town. This, it was all about you, Right? You're the one. Literally, she is flattering this young man for him to think that he is the very center of her affections, that this is, this is her long-lost dream man who has just walked through her neighborhood and she is going to appeal to his ego, to his self-centeredness. You, 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 I was looking for you. You know what most of us love about other people? We love that other people love us. <laughs> that's actually what we love. You ever notice for yourself, somebody said, well, what do you love about your wife? Oh man, what I love is how much, how well they love me. Nothing wrong with that, but if that's all there is, you notice who's really the center. It's not about what we can give, it's about what we can get. And here she is tapped in to the main line of narcissism and self-centeredness that every that we're egoists where it's all about us me 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 so this cheeky brazen shameless bull-faced liar is now going to overpower this man one commentator said this this is and and this is these are hard words to hear but this, I'll just read it, quote it, rather than paraphrasing it. It says, male overpowers the female through brute force. The female through seduction. If you're a woman and you've never realized that your words and how you look and how you act have power, you're kidding yourself. They do. Are you going to use them to gratify yourself and to live according to your own ideas and your own path and your own plan, are you going to use all that you are, your mind, your body, your gifts, your abilities, are you going to use it to bring honor and glory to God? Here, this woman, she's got some, some skill, some craftiness, some just raw wisdom, but it's not wisdom from God, and it certainly isn't for God. It is all about her, and she will flatter this young man to get what she wants. Notice now in verse 16, she's going she's to even heighten it. She says, I've spread my couch with coverings, perf- colored linens from Egyptian linen. So she's now saying, look, I have made everything as comfortable as can be. I- this is, this is going to be a soft place to recline. The colored linens from Egypt, the main color that they would use was red. So she says, I've got red Egyptian sheets, sheets of Egyptian cotton there that are going to be so comfortable, it's so sumptuous, it's so beautiful, appealing to every sense of the young man. Verse 17, I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. I mean, she is, will not stop at anything. I mean, she is now even trying to appeal to his sense of smell, telling him what a delightful, wonderful smell this place will have. And then she makes her appeal. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Can you imagine? I mean, can anywhere in the Bible where the word love less fits? doesn't want to love this young man. Ultimately, it's just to gratify her own desires. Remember, I said in Proverbs, they use a technique known as literary concreteness. And what that means is, is they don't just say, well, this is just only people they speak about are women against men. This is men towards women. This is, this is in many, many contexts. But this specific one, father speaking to his son, and here this woman, this adulterous woman, is saying, come, let's just enjoy. Let's, we've got this night. Let's enjoy it. Let's delight ourselves with love. Now, what if you were this young man would be the one thought? If you were not a godly young man, you lack sense, but what would be the only thing you might think? Hmm. Now, they didn't have wedding rings, but for case of point, she's got a wedding ring. Hmm. What if her husband comes home and catches us? You remember how chapter 6 ended? It said that if the man catches you, the husband... Who the wife is cheating with you against that that husband? He's going to take it out. There is going to be no payment to the wrath that he has. And here, very clearly, um, she wants to actually put this person's mind at rest. So what does he say? This is what she says. She says, "You will. You've got nothing to fear. There's no fear in this." You can do what I am inviting you to do and you'll get away with it. You can commit the deed and there will be no negative consequences toward you. Doesn't this, don't you hear the hiss? You will not die. Don't you hear? This is, do you remember what Genesis 3.15 says? You know, it's God talking to the serpent. And he says the seed of woman is going, to, is going to crush the head of the serpent. But he makes clear that the serpent will have seed. That there will be people who will follow in the line of the serpent. And over and over again, in every generation, if you are following God, you will hear the hiss of the serpent. And this is saying, look, you can, you can do what you want to do. You can make up your own rules. You don't have to live according to God's plan. God doesn't know what he says when he keeps you from uh, from committing adultery. God's just trying to keep a good thing from you. There are no consequences. You will not die. This woman has noticed a few things about this. She says her husband's not home. She acknowledges she's got this husband. He's not there. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. A few things on that. You usually would make the peace offering sacrifices at new moon. Full moon, two weeks later. So she's saying, look, he's going to be gone to. There's no problem. Tonight, we can have a great time. There's not even a chance. He's really on a two-week trip. But you notice what he says. At full moon, he'll come home. She has no intention of leaving that man for this young man. She has no intention of divorcing that man for this young man. Her whole intention is to satisfy and gratify her own desires and her own lust for that night and then to be done with that man and to go back to her fishing and her hunting to find somebody else to gratify herself. Do do, do you understand that when you give yourself physically to someone, the biblical intention for therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh, the idea is that the whole person is committed and given. One commentator said, this way, said it this way, to say physically, I'm giving myself to you, while emotionally and spiritually holding back from covenanted commitment, is in fact to live a lie, a split in the personality, which is ultimately stressful and destructive. For this woman, this is a fling, not love. It's not something she wants long-term. This is a one-night stand. She wants to stay married, but doesn't want to be faithful to the man to whom she's married. Notice in verse 21, it says, With much seductive speech she persuades him. I mean, she just keeps on, keeps on. She's just she's pulling out every, every kind of bait from her tackle box. I mean, if she can say something to get what she wants, she'll say it doesn't have to correspond to reality or truth at all. But notice, and this is what I love, and this is what I would urge you parents to understand. The father is pulling out every bit of bait from his tackle box, not so that the child can be hurt, but so that the child can be hooked by the word of God. Not so that the child can be destroyed, but so that the child can live. He's painting the picture. He says, look, sin looks really good. Here it is in full color. I mean, he's just given as as graphic a seduction scene as imaginable, painted it down to every detail so that the son, you can imagine a 16 or 17-year-old boy kind of hearing this story and going, wow, this is kind of interesting. Then notice this, with her smooth talk, she compels him. Literally, that word for smooth talk is the word Torah. Literally, these are her commandments. This is her instruction, her teaching. And then notice the transition. Verse 22, all at once he follows her. Whatever resistance, whatever he's kind of, maybe got a little bit of a light going on. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe it's not such a good idea. But at some point, finally, because he has put himself in this place of temptation, she has pulled out all the stops. At that moment, he crosses the line, and he follows her. And then the father shifts the story in the most dramatic way. He says, all at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Literally, here is a dumb brute of an animal that is literally being led along, and he's not being led along to green pastures. He's being led along to the first thing that happens to an ox. Literally, he is going to have his throat slit from ear to ear. As a stag is caught fast, literally the idea of of a trap on the ground, a noose on the ground, the stag is walking along, and it pulls up, and it's caught Till an arrow pierces its liver. To have an arrow coming into to this stag, into its liver. You think about the liver, just even in English. What does the word liver mean? It means it's, it's the opposite of a dire. It's a liver. It's the thing that helps us live. It's the place with the most blood. And so literally it's saying, it, it's, it's going to not just be a flesh wound. It's going to be a deadly wound. As a bird rushes into a snare, and then he says, all right, here's the cost. You want to engage in sexual immorality. You want to engage in going into this adulteress. This is what it will cost. He does not know that it will cost him his life. He does not know that it will cost him his life. How many people, they start out and they think, you know what, it doesn't matter if I control my thoughts in the area of sexuality, it doesn't matter who I have sexual relationships with, whether I'm married, doesn't matter. And all of a sudden they find that they're not in control anymore, that all of a sudden they're a slave. They're not infants in evil. They've become grown up and now evil has taken a hold of them and they, they cannot stop. They are now a slave to it and the physical consequences and the mental and spiritual consequences mean that all of a sudden they become calloused to the point that they do not live and do not think and do not care about God. It ultimately, it cost him his life. You can even imagine the picture of the husband coming home, finding them, physical death and spiritual death as well. And then the father ends with these words, verse 24 through 27, and now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth, Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol. Going down to the chambers of death. Think about a New Testament verse. that just summarizes this so clearly. The wages of sin is death. We just don't believe God, do we? We look at the appearance of sin. We go, well, it sure looks good. It sure looks good. But the Father has spelled out the consequences. We've seen other consequences in other chapters. But, but here he just says, ultimately, this leads to death. One commentator said this. Her bedroom is no ballroom. But a battlefield where corpses lie about and from where many are sent down into the chambers of death. Sexual immorality is not a small thing. In fact, in our day and age, people think really no rule's just right. And yet, if we're going to be followers of God, we need to realize He is the giver of it. And he's the one who tells us the appropriate expression of it. And he warns us here through his word of the consequences, physically and spiritually. The wages of sin is death. But aren't we grateful? That's not the end of the story. But the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus. The gospel comes to us. Where we have followed. The world where we've fallen into the ways. Of immorality. And it says. Come to Christ. He will forgive. Come to Christ. He will free you. From sin. Come to Christ. Christ. He will give you a new life. Come to Christ. He will tell you right from wrong. Come to Christ. He will not lie to you. Christ, when you look at him in his earthly life, so different, humble, man of sorrows acquainted with griefs, a man by himself carrying a cross up a rocky crag to have nails put in his hand and his feet, a spear thrust into his side, a crown of thorns upon his head, nothing attractive about it. But in that cross, we find all the forgiveness for every one of our wayward ways and we find all of the life and strength so that we can live differently. Would you come To Christ would you pray with me father I thank you for every portion of your word I thank you Lord that you you do not hesitate to pull out all the stops to pull us back from the precipice Lord there's some in here that are have slipped and fallen and maybe they're even hanging on at the edge and right now today, you're just grabbing a hold of them and you're pulling them back and saying, don't go that way. I will forgive you and I will strengthen you. Lord, for those who have, are yet deciding, they're the simple, they're open to everything and not committed to anything, I pray that today they would commit to follow the way of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. May we follow on that path. And may we find that ultimately it leads us not to the chambers of death, but to the very house of the Father where we find life, life everlasting, life overflowing in joy and abundance forever and ever. Lord, right now, forgive us. Right now, strengthen us. Give us resolve to fight against the world and all of its temptations. May we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, in whose name we pray, and together God's people said, Amen.